I have shared with you in the past that I am not a particularly good fan of Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. For a couple of reasons. One, I think it's a very simplistic song that doesn't have uh, much help to just say, don't worry, be happy. But two, it was played to death. And I may have planted an earworm just by mentioning it, so please forgive me if I have. Um, but there's something, even though I did not like that song, there was a song that came out um, in 1973 on the Carpenters album, Now and Then. It was released uh, and actually was first sung on that children's favorite program, Sesame Street. It's a bright and cheerful song that encourages people to fill their hearts with music. Uh, it is not one of the reasons I do like it, rather than Bobby McFerrin. It's not a make-believe, all you got to do is be happy and bad things don't happen kind of song. But it does remind people to sing, to let music be a part of their lives. And there's one note in it that says, and don't even worry if nobody will like it. Uh, that's not important. Uh, if you If you... Don't sing too well. Don't worry about it. Something that congregational members should remember every time we sing songs of praise to God, uh, that it doesn't matter what people think. And these are the little lyrics to the song. Sing, sing a song, sing out loud, sing out strong, sing of good things, not bad, sing of happy, not sad. Sing, sing a song, make it simple to last your whole life long. Don't worry that it's not good enough for anyone else to hear. Just sing, sing a song. I like that. And by now, if you haven't figured out how much I love music, you haven't been listening for going on, well, in, into my 14th year with you. I love music, and I believe music has a power uh, to, to lift the heart up, particularly among those hearts of believers who've come to trust in the goodness of God. And today we're going to take a look at a song of thanksgiving, a song of great joy and hope. And it's found in the book of Chronicle, First Chronicles. And I want to, want to just share a little bit about that book with you to hopefully help you understand its great importance. At one time, one title for the book of Chronicles and understand these books of the Bible we have, the names were later, added later, but somebody thought it should be called Things That Are Omitted because it is so similar to First and Second Samuel that people say, oh, you don't need to read Chronicles. It's just, it's just adding a few things. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles was originally placed at the end of a group of books that were called the Writings. The Writings were books like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and so on, the Song of Solomon, it's completely separated from Samuel. The thing about Chronicles, it's a powerful book, and I encourage you to read it with this in mind. In the book of First and Second Chronicles, and originally probably one book, you will find themes that are given over and over and over again. The covenant, the 
people of Israel as the chosen people of the covenant. The idea of worship. The, the reign of David and how important it was. And the idea of sharing what they have heard with the whole world. With that in mind, I want you to understand in the midst of the story of the return of the ark to Jerusalem, we have in First Chronicles chapter 16 a song. It's just plugged in there. Now, 7 through 27, well, actually the song starts in 8. 8 through 27 isn't the whole song. The rest of it goes down to 36. I encourage you this week, make a plan every day this week to read 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 36. And just let the words of thankfulness flow over your heart. There is an extremely joyful moment. And in verse 7, we hear David's command. So if you'll stand, we'll begin looking at the word. And we're going to to begin with David's command. The ark is now back in Jerusalem. The people of God are excited. And we're told this. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. David said, Asaph and your brothers, you men, sing a song of thanks. I'm reading from the ESV today because NIV inserts an idea that is not really in the original text. The NIV says that David told them to sing this song, which suggests David wrote it. Well, this is probably a composition of the chronicler. It actually is composed and uses words from three different psalms. Uh, begins quoting Psalm 105, then Psalm 96, and then Psalm 106. And the chronicler, basically what seems to be happening, after he's looked at what happened, he is bursting out in song. So this is his song most likely, given to the people of Israel. So listen to the beauty of it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel. As an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress him. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and he is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Folks, this is a powerful word from God. And in this song, the children of Israel are being called upon to give thanks to God before one another and all people. We're going to talk about that. But he's telling them, give thanks to God. And we are called to be people of thankfulness. Abraham Lincoln said that a national day of thanksgiving should be given. But folks, Natalie's right. Every day of our lives as children of the living God, we should be thankful. But why is it so important? Well, just as God doesn't really need our worship, we need it so we remember who He is and who we are. God doesn't need us to tell Him thank you. We need to. Now why? Because thankfulness stands as a reminder, reminders of all that God has done for us. Thankfulness is us declaring this is what God has done. And so today we're going to take a look at those. The reminders that this psalm gives us about our thankfulness before a holy God. And the first reminder, when we give thanks, we are reminded that God is holy. That's an important concept within the Word of God. And in Isaiah, Isaiah's favorite name for God is title is the Holy One of Israel. When we give thanks, we are reminded that God is holy. And the chronicler tells the people of Israel, God's people were exhorted to boast in the holy name of the Lord. Now, I know you don't see the word boast in your translations, but we'll get to that in a minute. But this is all a call of thankfulness. And they are told to give thanks. And it's important that you know this verb is you that's translated give thanks is most often used in the book of Psalms. And almost always it is followed by the reason you should give thanks. But the usual context is about public worship. When the people of Israel have joined together. This is not particularly a a word to the individual in their private prayer closet, although obvious it should be what we do. It's given to the people. Give a public declaration of thanksgiving before God. It focuses on the congregation as being people, a people of community, connected, thanking their God. And we're told they are to tell about his wondrous works. And that word tell means to to speak about something enthusiastically. I remember as a little boy being told to say thank you. And sometimes it came out, thank you. No, we are to tell with enthusiasm, with joy about the marvelous things that God has done manifesting His power in their lives. And then they are told, you are to glory in His holy name. And here's the thing, that word translated glory carries with it 
an idea of showing off, of boasting, boasting about something. But please, it's very clear. Here, they're not supposed to be boasting about themselves. They're supposed to be boasting. God is holy. His name is holy. Now, why is it holy? Because this is a different name, folks. The word God in the Old Testament is the word Elohim. And it is a generic word for God. It is actually used in our text when it talks about the gods of the world. Other names, Adonai, which means Lord. These are given names. But this name, the name, I am that I am. Yahweh. This name wasn't created by humanity. It was revealed by God to Moses. Who do I say send me? I am that I am. Folks, God gave his name. God said, I am Yahweh. And this became the covenant name for God. This was God saying, I want you to know me. This is God saying, I want you to be in my heart. It was a name significant because he is the holy God of the covenant. You see, one of the basic ideas behind the word holy is different, separate. This is a different name because it comes from God. And boasting in their name, in his name, was to come from their hearts, the deepest part of their lives. To rejoice because the Lord, that's the significance of that word, Lord, in all capital letters. Yahweh had chosen. And rather than run from the holy God, they are told here, seek him. Seek him. Now this particular word for seeking is again connected to the idea of the congregation. It is a liturgical, a worship term. Come together and seek the Lord. Come together into his presence. And this is pretty cool. The word translated presence here literally means face. Face to face, as it were. Obviously, if they came face to face, literally they would all die. Because you can't see the glory of God. But come into his presence in an intimate way to tell of his joy, to tell of his thanksgiving. Don't run from him. Come to him. And folks, I want to share with you, God's holiness is not something we should shrink from. Now I know, yes, when you consider God's holiness, an initial reaction is like Isaiah, uh-oh, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord. But that's the initial reaction to the idea of a holy God. But as we come to understand what that holiness means, when we turn from our sinfulness to the holy God, something amazing 
and glorious happen. The fact that he is holy, different, means that he is so much more than what we are. Aren't you glad God's not like us? Yes, he is more than we are. He can do more, more than our wildest imagination. God is able to do for us things that we can't understand. It declares that this holy God, because he's inviting them to come to him, this holy God has bridged the gap between his holiness and human sinfulness through the act of covenant. When he covenanted with Abraham, when he covenanted with the other patriarchs, uh, Isaac and Jacob, when he covenants with Israel at Sinai, and ultimately when he covenants with those through his son Jesus Christ. I love something that Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, the whole life of the Christian should be a psalm. Your whole life should be a song of which the content should be summed up in this sentence. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Folks, yes, it's kind of scary to think about standing before a holy God. But we've been redeemed. By the shed blood of Christ, atonement has been made. And we are told in the book of Hebrews, come before him boldly. Because folks, we can know that God's holiness can bring us both awe and joy. The holiness of God brings to mind that expression in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. And the idea of fear of the Lord is a sense of reverence, deep reverence, awe, and amazement. It is what Isaiah felt when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Reverence and amazement and, and so much sense of this God. It's no wonder Isaiah calls him the Holy One of Israel. And when we remember, though, that his holiness is a pathway to his grace. His holiness caused him to reach out to bring forgiveness, acceptance, wholeness. And our hearts should be filled with thankfulness. The holiness of God has made me his child. The holy God has reached out to me through Christ. And that's why this psalm is filled with joy. Holy joy. Holy obedience to which we are called. Richard Foster, one of my favorite Christian writers, said joy not grit is the hallmark of holy obedience. It is this cheerful revolt against self and pride Utter abandonment to God is done freely and with celebration. And so I urge you to enjoy the ministry of self-surrender. The saints of the ages have witnessed to this reality. You know, of course, that they were not speaking of a silly, superficial, bubbly kind of joy like the, that flaunted in modern society. No, this is a deep, resonant joy 
that has been shaped and tempered by the fires of suffering and suffering, joy through the cross, joy because of the cross. We have thankfulness and joy because God is holy and calls us to a life beyond which we could have dreamt that produces in us joy and gratitude when we remember what He's done. And that holy name, Yahweh, when we remember that is the the name of God that He gave, it reminds us of who He is. That's the second reminder of this song. When we give thanks, we are reminded that God is the God of our covenant. The God of our covenant. Yahweh is still making covenant. And here, one of the major themes of the book of Chronicles is given. Because this song points in several different ways as a reminder to Judah. In this song of praise, the people of God were once again reminded of the covenant. Chronicles was was written, we can't give a direct date, but it's after the return of some of the people of Judah from the Babylonian captivity. He makes reference to Ezra and Nehemiah within his book. In this song of praise, the people of God were reminded once again of the covenant. They are called, remember the covenant. It was established by God and promises were given in that covenant to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's reminding them God made that covenant. It was the Lord who initiated it. The Lord of the covenant who said, Come, I want you to be my people. I am going to be your God. And the importance of understanding that God is the one, the Lord established it, is that Israel had nothing to offer God to win this arrangement. We looked a very long time at Abraham. We saw all of his stumbling, all of his falls. There was nothing in Abraham that said, God choose me. But God chose him. And he chose Israel. And he chose the other patriarchs. And he moved among them. Again, listen to the words. Well, before I get to... Okay. He's mentioning the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's new name, Israel. And in that, he says, I would not allow the the kings of this world to oppress them. I told them not to touch my anointed, the prophets. He's calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob prophets. And he warned them. Remember, he kept Pharaoh and he kept Abimelech from messing up. He's saying about the patriarchs and then the next words that I'm about to read, he switches the people talked about. He was talking about them and now he uses a plural, you. He's talking about the people of God. Judah coming home from Babylon. Listen to what he said. 
When you were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. When this was happening to you, why does he switch? Because he wants them to understand you are part of the covenant. You have a connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are my people. And he wants them to know what they have experienced in me, you can experience in me. You are part of this. And that would have been particularly important. Because these people have just left Babylon. They've come back to Judah. And they're discovering not everybody wants them there. But God has brought them home. They have been under foreign domination. But God has brought them. Why? Because they were so great? No, they were insignificant in their own right. But God said, you are my anointed ones. You are my chosen. And I am setting you free. Just as you brought Israel out of Egypt, God is now bringing Judah out of Babylon. Because folks, no matter how bad it looks, God will always have a people. John says in the first chapter, the darkness cannot overcome the light. God will always have a people. And even when the people stumble and falter, there will always be among those people who come back to serve him. But it's really important you hear this. So both ears ready, heart. Did you notice that the chronicler is not saying, just sit in the, together and thank God and be glad and praise God together. He's saying, tell of his works to the nations. Let the world hear your story. Let the world hear about the God of covenant. Let the world hear. Why? Do you remember the promise given to Abraham? I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing to all peoples. They were being called. And don't miss this. While they are thanking God with each other. They're to be telling the world. The Lord God. Has delivered us. The Lord of our covenant. Is bringing us home. And moving in our lives. Well, we're members of a new covenant. And as members of the new covenant in Christ, we have the assurance that we are bonded with God. Like Israel, we didn't deserve it. God didn't look at my eight-year-old heart and say, Man, Danny, you are the perfect brother and the perfect son. I need you in my kingdom. When God looked at your heart, he didn't say, Boy, I'm lucky to have you. We are told all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We did nothing to deserve it. We were insignificant as far as works of righteousness. We couldn't do them on our own. We could never have earned a place in the family of God. But God Almighty opened the door to the family for us through grace. And while it was free, it was not cheap. We observed the Lord's Supper 
And we heard Jesus Christ say, the cost of this covenant is my blood. And through his sacrifice, we have been brought into the community of faith. And he gives us power through the work of the Holy Spirit. And absolutely nothing will ever break the bond between our Father and we as his children. How do I know this? The 10th chapter of the book of John, verses 27 through 29, are some of the most important words you will ever hear. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We belong. Not because we deserve it. Because God in his infinite mercy and grace provided a way of salvation and invited us to receive life. And again from John, as many as received him to those he gave power to become children of God. And folks, when we remember that, When we understand that, we are able to praise God because we can know that the God of covenant will never abandon us. Every day in my life, I need to be telling God, thank you that you brought me into your family. Now, let's be honest. When we falter, he will convict us. The Spirit of God One of his jobs is to convict of sin. And when we stumble, when we rebel, he will discipline us. The book of Hebrews says, if God's discipline doesn't come, you're not a legitimate child. Very often he disciplines us through the word, which is one reason I believe a lot of Christians don't read the Bible. Because you start reading it, and it's a mirror, and it reveals who you are. But he will never desert us. He will never leave us out on our own. And every time we thank God for the covenant, we will understand how much we have to be thankful for. We too are to do more than just thank Him though, aren't we? Because Jesus Christ told us, told his disciples, go and tell. Be my witnesses. Tell the world what can be had in the God of covenant. Tell the world that life is possible. Life that is meaningful. Life that is rich. Life that is powerful. Life that is eternal. Which means a lot more than just goes on and on forever. You can walk with me. And he's saying, you tell them that. When we remember that our holy God is the God of our covenant, we understand we have something very precious in our life. Because this God 
the Holy Lord, Yahweh, brought us into the covenant through Christ and said, you are mine. And he reminds us, the last reminder we look at today, he tells us. When we give thanks, we are reminded that God brings what the world cannot. God brings to his children what the world can't offer. This holy God, this God of the covenant. And he says it rather bluntly here. When he's telling them all of these wonderful things that God has done. The psalmist then speaks, the chronicler speaks, and the psalmist declared that the gods of the earth were nothing but worthless idols created by men. Paul writes in the first chapter of Romans that God has given a testimony of himself in nature. You can understand his power and his might. But then it says... But people turn for worshiping the creator to the creation, gods of their own making. And that's what this writer is saying. The gods of Canaan, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Mesopotamia, they're pagan gods. They're not alive. They can't say they're insignificant idols. And over a century before the chronicler wrote, Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied and pointed out the foolishness of idol worship. And folks, it gets a tiny bit sarcastic here, so remember, it's inspired by God. Isaiah 44, 14 through 17. He says that a man cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and he warms himself. He kindles the fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats a meal. He roasts and satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I'm worn. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. And I say, saying that's foolish. The false gods at Israel so often went to, were meaningless and empty. But the chronicler declares, but the Lord, the Lord made the heavens. The Lord is creator. The Lord is the God of covenant who has reached into your life. He's not vain. He's not meaningless. He is a living God. And when we look at how we fit into this, we need to acknowledge that all that the world can offer us is fleeting and in the end empty. A worldview that is, doesn't have God within it ultimately is empty. Jesus warned his disciples 
He warns them in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't let your treasure be the kind of treasure that men seek all of their lives. Things that can rust. Things that can go moldy. Things that can be stolen. But seek first the kingdom of God. And everything that you need, God will provide. Seek first the kingdom of God. I have joked before that you really shouldn't read the book of Ecclesiastes if you're depressed. But I'm going to give you a key to help me understand the book of Ecclesiastes where you can read it without getting depressed. At the very beginning, the writer makes a very important point. Ecclesiastes 1, 2, and 3. Listen to what he says. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Please look at that phrase. Under the sun. It shows up a lot in Ecclesiastes. And he will say you can work hard and discover in the end it was empty. You can seek wisdom and in the of the wisdom of the world and in the end discover it's going to be empty. You can seek pleasure and drunkenness and wild parties and you can seek everything that the world is saying under the sun, this is what's important and it's vanity. And his conclusion is serve God. That phrase under the sun represents the life that has no place for God within it. And he says, that's not what we were meant for. You see, that which the world declares to be of utmost importance cannot still the hunger within the human heart. Having the best toys doesn't make you a winner. In the opening to his confessions, Augustine wrote, you stir us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. Folks, hear me. We can know that the God who made the heavens has strength and majesty enough to fulfill all of his promises. Again, the chronicler writes in verse 27, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. That phrase, splendor, is saying, God, Yahweh is magnificent. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's, he's more than you could ever hope for, more than you could ever. He is absolutely magnificent. Majesty carries with it the idea something that will inspire awe, reverence. When you look at it, it takes your breath away. At a much deeper level, it's the kind of thing that can get you. When you stand at the foot of an amazing mountain and look at the, the beauty and the wonderful and part of you just begins to wow or you're, you're looking at a raging river or all of the beauties, you're, you're driving and you see a sunset and be sure you keep an eye on the road, but it just takes your breath away. The idea, awe, oh, but God, His majesty 
is before Him. Always. And then it says strength and joy are in His place. What does that mean? True strength for this life is found in Him. Even in the moments of our weakness. Paul prayed three times, God, please take this thorn away from me. It's hurting me. It's hindering me. Take it away. And in 2 Corinthians 12, God answered. Verse 9, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responded, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, every time... I think about my words when I say, thank you, God. I'm reminded, not only is He holy, not only is He a covenant, but He has what I need to make my life meaningful and rich and true. Now today I fully realize that there are times it may be hard to think of reasons to be Thankful. Matthew Henry was a famous Bible scholar. Some of you may have seen his commentaries. He once talked about, well, he was robbed. Thieves came and accosted him. They stole his purse and it was all the money he had. My house has been burgled in Texas. My first reaction was not, thank you, Lord, for this situation. I understand there are tough things that happen. But listen to what Matthew Henry wrote in his diary. How can you be thankful when you're robbed? Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, and this is the most amazing thing that he gives as far. Fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not someone else. Thank you, God. They picked on me. They didn't hurt somebody else. This start of a month of Thanksgiving and a moment in time when this world is utter chaos, it seems. When it seems as though the darkness is winning over the light. We've heard reminders of why we should be a people of thanks. And those reminders tell us this should be part of your life no matter what the circumstance. We have a song of thanksgiving to be singing. 
We give thanks because God is holy. He's not like us. He's greater than. We give thanks because in his holiness he has chosen to be God of the covenant and has invited us to be part of his family. We give thanks because he brings to us what the world cannot to make life meaningful. So this morning, whatever is going on within your life, whatever battles you're facing, whatever fears the world is trying to capture your heart with, This psalm, the word is calling us to open our lives to thankfulness. Today, commit yourself. Commit yourself to sing a song. A simple song that can last your whole life through. A song of gratitude to the God above who gives us all we need to be the people he has created and redeemed us to be. Give thanks to the Lord.